0: You're listening to a podcast from Seven O Two. 2. Masterclass. This afternoon, we bring you a masterclass that relates to where we find ourselves at the moment. So in today's masterclass, we're focusing on the trauma that we as a country are experiencing right now, um, which can also be seen in light of the trauma of our past Um and therefore the present condition that we have. There is a collective trauma that we're faced with living in this country. I mean, um, maybe some of us are more traumatized than others, whether it is the gross inequality that we see on a daily basis, whether it's um, the gruesome gender based violence that plays out um, in our country, the brutal crime that is visited on the citizens of this country, looting by politicians who plunder the state with no consequence, the violence of poverty, this indignity, and also dehumanization that happens just as part of being a South African. And then to add to that, the trauma of apartheid. We are walking around with uh, so much trauma within us. And so we've invited onto the show Nomfundo Mokhabi, who is um, at the Center for Mental awareness and leadership this afternoon to join us for this masterclass on understanding the trauma of South Africans, the trauma that many South Africans have lived with across a lifetime. Uh, Nomfundo, thank you very much. Um, thank you for being willing to come on today and share your insights in what is undoubtedly a very difficult time for this nation. Hello.
1: I, Azania, thank you so much for having me and creating a platform to actually have this long overdue discussion for us as a society.
0: Yes, you call it overdue. You say it's overdue. Um, tell me why and what it is that we perhaps should have done. Because I've also always been of the view that, you know, the TRC was a Political process, but we never really got to deal with the traumas of the past in moving into the current dispensation.
1: Yeah, so then, I mean, I've been in this field for the past 20 years working with trauma in South Africa, and as early as 2008, when we had the sort of first broadly because we have had a number of collective violence, but that was the very some incident of xenophobic violence we started talking already about the importance of dealing with trauma because it was shaping the cycle of our society in 2011 when i was still at csvr we produced a research called the smoke that calls and again there i wrote a paper on our collective trauma and highlighting that we have a ticking time bomb if we don't address this trauma, it is continue. And we have seen since 2011 an increase in collective violence where as a society we had been saying for a long time that we are using violence as a currency to be ahead So we've been saying for the longest time that this is an important conversation. That mm-hmm. from you know the work that we've been doing, but also the work in neurobiology, there's been advancement as Anya in the past decade. To actually show that trauma affects everything. And in a society like South Africa, which is described very well, that has got, we've got a level, layers of trauma. We've got trauma at a collective level, which means that if any incident happens that triggers a trauma, it can spread like fire. And most people didn't understand why. We've got the trauma at an intergenerational level. And what we know is that if trauma has been transferred to the next generation and has not been dealt with, then instead of the youth using their energy to build the society, to do the normal things of going to work, they spend it trying to undo the issues of the past. We have historical trauma. And that's why, you know, people, when they look at what happens in South Africa, they don't understand the intensity of the emotions. And I always say to people that, If we are triggered by an experience of humiliation, our reaction is not just my reaction as Namfundo. I represent my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and the humiliation that they didn't deal with. Because epigenetics and trauma actually shows that trauma gets transferred to the next generation. So so Uh, if we really appreciate this, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. No, actually, that's also one of the things I wanted us to to talk about, you know, because we can't ignore the heritage of that transgenerational uh, traumatic memory that uh, gets passed down, you know, which means that these issues uh, get moved, they, they get passed down with every generation. So they come into the present context. Um, and these mm. psychic wounds of the past are, 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 are then move down to future generations. I was thinking, you know, about these young people who have to live this contrasting reality that they called born freeze mm. And yet they live in a reality that contradicts that um, the continuation of the past is in their presence. What does that do to someone to, mm. to, to have to be faced with? Uh, one story, but their reality is something else?
1: Sure. I mean, you can imagine what that does, right, where there's like this huge psychic gap that is left that creates a deep wound. So this gap between the ideal that is presented in media and social media and what your reality is. And that is why one of the things that we've really been pushing for, especially in the Center for Mental Wellness and Leadership, is that we have to start having trauma-informed interventions in our country. So from what you are saying, Azania, if you are using the trauma lens, you'll begin to have a different appreciation of the agency of dealing with the socioeconomic issues. Because if you stay in, first of all, if you use trauma lens, poverty for the young person is not just about, yes, I'm struggling, I don't have food to eat. I mean, that in and of itself is painful. But for most people, it's about re-experiencing the same trauma that your parents have gone through. Unemployment is about feeling that, you know, not only am I experiencing this trauma, but I'm stuck in this trauma. There's no hope that I will get out of it. And inequality, which is the ticking time bomb that we've been talking about, actually brings up this rage that that which I desire is so close to me because I see it every day, but it's so unreachable, corrupted by trauma. So you can then understand why for the majority of the young people in South Africa that are stuck in in poverty, there is such intense emotions that, of course, when there's an incident like what happened now with President Zuma in prison, it triggers this pain, and they they, they use that event as, as an event where all these emotions that have not been dealt with actually gets unleashed into
0: Mm. You know, we were speaking to the NPA a little bit earlier on and addressing the numbers of arrests that have been made and the journey ahead um around these prosecutions, 1,230 people in Gauteng as well as in KZN face prosecution for uh, the actions that we've seen over the past couple of days. So how do you hold people accountable? without disregarding the experience. You just talked about looking at things through a trauma lens. And I was saying earlier on that the law is a blunt instrument. You know, Um, there isn't much scope for the complexities of the human experience often, you know. And so uh, what what is your thinking on that, on holding people accountable without disregarding their trauma experience?
1: That's a very important question. And I think there's been advancement where some people are looking at how to have law that is trauma informed. So I think even with this incident that has just happened now in our country, what we're now calling this perfect storm, we tend to have this approach, and this is again a trauma approach, and either or that there's no grey in between. So we have extremes who say, you must be, hold people accountable. But even our accountability, Azania, comes with such shame. You know, I was watching, I'm uh, one of the people who's saying, yes, let us hold people accountable. But what we do is we go beyond accountability, we shame and humiliate people. We call them hooligans, we call them criminals. Even when the police apprehend the, the people, there's no need to use the level of shame that we unleash on people when we are apprehending them and taking them to prison. So there is something about how the accountability gets done and how we do it without shaming, because these very same young people are going to be the adults of our future. And this hmm. shame will eat us up. So, and then on the other hand, of course, we need to be able, so we've got the extreme of accountability, but we are doing it from a trauma space. Then there's another angle of people who are saying, you have to listen to our pain but this one is about saying yes we're doing this because we are suffering but it's almost like the suffering is condoning the acts. so we Mm. need to learn how to hear the pain understand the pain speak to the pain but don't condone the acts that are there that are destructive it's like somebody who comes in and says you know when i was a child i had a really difficult childhood but now i'm hitting my wife no yes he did with the childhood but we can't condone the fact that now as a result of your trauma you are doing this so it is possible to balance both but now south africa is actually again stuck in this trauma response of extreme accountability but it is so harsh and so punitive and so shaming and then the other one is so angry and so violent and enraged and it doesn't hear so we need to balance these two. We need to be able to hold for and if It actually takes somebody who has the psychological capacity, who has dealt with their trauma, to hold these contradictions between accountability and empathy for the very same people that are causing the thing that you feel that they need to be held accountable for.
0: Mm. Do you think there is enough acknowledgement in our society, for the trauma that exists? Um, just looking at a text that uh, from someone who does not
1: believe that we're a traumatized nation? No, 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 not at all, Asania. And I just, I think before I even speak to that, you know, uh, I think it's, it's important when I was talking about the economic stuff that the work, and, and you'll see why it's relevant for the question you raised. So the work that needs mm. to be done is not just only with the people that are stuck in the trauma, but it is with the elite in our country. So we have the historical elite that continue the previous psychology of the elite, see no evil, hear no evil, blame, attack. And unfortunately mm. for those of us that are the new emerging elite, there wasn't sufficient work done with us to say, how do you transform the way in which you become as an elite in a society with the history that it has and when the millions are still left behind. So you have this elite that is very entitled. It actually humiliates. So the very same shame we had in the past, we have not dealt with it. So when we see poor people, we, we shame them, we humiliate them. So again, in South Africa, we are stuck between, which is the history of our trauma, the denialist. We are not traumatized, there's no trauma. And the ones who feel it every day, who, who scream and saying, look, you don't hear our trauma, so we'll finally use violence for you to hear us. And that is the danger. You see, the danger of our society is not as much the trauma we've gone through, but it is how asleep we are to it, Azania. Because when you are asleep to your trauma, that is when it shows up and it becomes destructive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you think of how we've seen it manifest uh, over time, when I listen to callers to this radio station, um, and whether it's at times like these or any other, um, you can hear it. You can hear that there's much that is unresolved. So how would we go about, in fact, how how do we begin to deal with, with the trauma about of being a South African, the trauma that comes with being a South African, you know, um, because at the dawn of the democracy, I remember in my teens watching an Oprah show once and there was a school that did some workshops that Oprah uh, covered some workshops with its students around Uh, especially tensions and divisions around racial issues, you know. And we don't do that kind of work, whether in our workplaces, whether in our communities, you know, there is no grounding in some kind of effort to bring us to look at the, to to, to look at who we are um, and to address the things that we carry that are painful. We don't have those initiatives. It's almost as if you are left to, Walk that journey on your own, and yet you go out into society, and you are inf- you are influenced, you are affected by people who cannot do this work or are able to do the work.
1: Yeah, so definitely, Azania, and I mean, first of all, just this conversation that you've opened is a huge step, because what we know is that the minute a conversation is able to enter the territory. Of media and media engagements, it begins to shape our collective psyche. So having more platforms that just raise an awareness because the first stage of healing is just an awakening. I think in South Africa, we just need a huge awakening drive um, to just say, what is trauma? How does it show up? How does it show up in your life? Because, because it's so historical and because it's just part mm-hmm. and parcel of who we are, we've taken it for granted. And some of the Ways we engage with each other, we don't even know that they are informed by trauma, whether high levels of SGBV, high levels of violence, high levels of toxicity in the workplace, depression, all of these things. I mean, interesting, interestingly, there's a book that um, Oprah has written, and if people can have access to it, it says, What Happened to You? It's a really powerful book because it takes the work that we've done in the trauma field for the past 20 years. And just it uses it in a plain language and it links it with neurobiology to really show us how trauma and what happened to us affects how we respond currently. But back to your question on what can we do. I think the first thing for me, I mean, that's why I've been working at CSVR for the past 20-something years on trauma. I ended up starting this organization, which is the Center for Mental Wellness and Leadership because I've come to appreciate that at the core of this is leadership. Leaders have the capacity to make the trauma bearable or unbearable. They've got the capacity to trigger us towards violence or to contain us towards peace. So if the first intervention can be at a leadership level, when I was the executive director of CSVR, I told the donors that funded us that it would be irresponsible of me to allow anyone to be a manager or a leader in a society like ours with the history that it has of trauma without ensuring that they either have a leadership coach or they go for counseling. So we ended up having a line item on staff development, which included this. So I plead with corporates, NGOs, wherever you are, as a leader, it's your responsibility to do leadership coaching. If you think you are not traumatized, at least for you to know how to contain the trauma that the people bring in the workplace, if you are a parent or a family leader. So at a leadership level, a lot of work. The second area, azania, I've been asking this in South Africa, but also I've had an opportunity to work in other countries. By the way, I mean, what happens in other countries in Africa, very similar to what's happening in our country. And my question has been, who advises the president of our countries? Do they have like a psychosocial advisor? Like, for example, there was this, this incident that has happened. When our leaders were sitting and meeting and making decisions on how to respond, did they have an expert who understand the trauma, who would advise them and say, when you go there, don't call people hooligans. Don't mention ethnicity because it's a huge trigger for trauma. Find a different way of engaging so that it contains. So we really need to start having trauma advisors at the higher echelons of our society to assist our leaders, from president to ministers to DDGs to chief directors on how they can have trauma-informed interventions. And of mm-hmm. course, I think, Azana, at the end of the day, each and every single one of us. I always say it begins with me. When I yeah. heal as nonfondo, I do it not just for myself because this is historical. I break the cycles of wounding for my daughter and for my for my grandchildren and for the next generation. So we all have to say it ends with me. The cycles of trauma will end with me, but it will require for me to do the difficult work of healing my trauma and also my historical trauma of what my grandmother went she didn't
0: do and what my great-grandmother didn't do. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you've just joined us, we're in the throes of a masterclass this afternoon and we have Nomfundo Mokapi who is the founder for the Center of Mental Awareness and Leadership. She joins us today as we look at the trauma, the trauma of being a South African. More after the latest in Eyewitness News. It's
1: 2.30.
0: Masterclass. Ah, uh, the sight of, uh, what's going on in Soweto at the moment as the politicians do the walkabout and communities are standing quite a way away, you know, um uh, just watching them do this walkabout. Uh, it almost speaks of the disconnect in a way. You know, sometimes we've had these vivid images that are a snapshot that speak volumes. I think this is one of them. Uh, we'll continue to bring you more in the course of uh, the afternoon through EWN, of course, but we continue now with our masterclass. My guest is Nomfundo Mochabi, and she's the CEO and founder of the Center for Mental Wellness and Leadership as we look at uh, the trauma of south africans the trauma of being a south african this afternoon numfundo um let's go to the lines as we have a couple of uh listeners wanting to make a contribution um coffee let's start with you calling from pretoria afternoon Kofi.
2: yes afternoon Azania. a long time yes uh, welcome listen, thank you so much for bringing numfundo mohati on the show and, and the reason is she's asked a very powerful question. And I, we, um, when I was on Eusebius' show way back during the, the uh, last year during the COVID 19 crisis, we, we asked a similar question about the psychological nature of the kind of, uh, the psychological nature of, of the, uh, uh, that informed the decisions our leaders are taking. And her question is very powerful. She said, Who advises our president? Mm of course, by extension, the executives, on trauma issues. So powerful. I mean, the, the president's got economic councils, political advisors, but we don't have a trauma advisors. And, and the reason is it's very, very it's a powerful question. Um, the talk now must go, and I'm hearing the talk going towards finding economic solutions only but it should be much broader. It should also include and go beyond political and economic solutions and and economic scenarios for the long term for South Africa. And uh, let me conclude with this by saying leaders are healers. Most of our healers are wounded, hurt, traumatized, and many of them are still hurt from the kind of struggle they went through. They're leading through fear you know, they're leading through indifference. They're also leading through trauma, toxic trauma that comes from their own side, and in violence. And mm. some people are also indifferent. And and until, and I, I mean, uh, I know I'm a bit uh, pretentious to ask uh, Namfundo uh, to be the advisor to the president, but <laughs> perhaps we should, <laughs> we should make the case because they they don't yeah. know now how to deal with trauma. And by and large... It, and it applies to all of them. could be the army, the defense force, all these people. So they need some kind of sensitivity training around trauma issues when they're making those decisions. It's not going to be only political uh, solutions, no economic solutions. We need to find a much softer way to deal with this for the long term. So that's my point. Yeah. Thank you for having your on board.
0: Thank you, thank you for that contribution, Kofi. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a call from Kofi. Next we go to Brendan in West Dean. Uh, good afternoon, Brendan. Hi. A great
2: show. Um, I just okay. wanted to make a, a, a present an idea to your guest. Um, mm. You know, what struck me during the season of four protest was this reference to the phrase structural violence, um, and also you know, kind of the violence of the status quo. What's interesting for me is that those forms of violence are generally invisible and suppressed, whereas the more kind of visible, frustrated uh, of violence, you know, is, is, is visible. So you pay attention to that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd, I'd like some commentary maybe on that relationship between what I've said and the trauma. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that, Brendan. Um, so, Nomfundo, maybe first up, should we lobby for you to be the uh, advisor to the president? <laughs> we can hey, I'll raise my, my hand. hand. We can
1: petition, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can petition the presidency. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the question I've been asking. I mean, I had an opportunity to also work with the African Union and I've been asking them, you know, who advises the presidents of our continent? And I've been looking at... The other countries, most of them have coaches, have guidance, who also work on issues of of trauma. But anyway, thank you. Thank you, Kofi, for that. I just wanted to, Kofi has raised something really important about decision-making. And what we've learned over and above just the trauma that we have in relation to COVID-19, we are also talking about what we are calling decision fatigue, that seriously, our leaders are Exhausted. They're having to make so many decisions related to COVID-19. And on top of that, there is there is now trauma-informed decision making. For you to really appreciate why it's so critical for leaders to work on themselves, you have to appreciate the work that has been found in relation to our neurobiology and how our brains work. So what we know is that for us to make decisions and function as leaders, we need to use our cerebral cortex. Those are the higher functioning of our bodies that makes us to reason, to think. However, our trauma, especially painful and emotions get stored up in our amygdala. And what we now know is that when something happens that triggers your painful, uh, your, your emotions that we haven't dealt with, the amygdala gets activated and the cerebral cortex gets suppressed. So if you have leaders that are traumatized, and you've seen this, people will say, this person is okay until you humiliate them. All of a sudden, the amygdala takes charge, the wound begins to lead society. And that is why it's so critical. I mean, science has shown this, that if you are able to heal, then you ensure that your leadership is led by Your cerebral cortex and not by your amygdala. And having advisors, they are able to help you. First of all, advisors will help you to understand your personality type, to understand your own river of life and your stories of trauma, to understand what triggers you. So even before you go and speak as a leader, you know, okay, what triggers me, what makes me operate from my amygdala. And I'm not going to go and talk to people when I'm operating from my amygdala, but also what helps them, what makes the masses that you are leading operate collectively from their amygdala. And we know that humiliation is a huge trigger in South Africa. If you can remember, know, there was a time when ex-president Zuma was painted and people were like, but why are they all standing up and stand still? They are not fighting for the children. Mm-hmm. And even there, I said, guys, it's because it has touched the trauma of humiliation in our country. So I just really wanted to, to highlight that. Mm-hmm. And then just briefly on what Brandon had said, Really, really powerful, Brandon, because, and, and this is what we've been saying that the challenge with South Africa, especially the elite and the halves and the eaters, they only listen when there is an eruption of the trauma. We haven't learned the capacity and the skill to listen to the invisible pain. What it means on a daily basis to wake up not knowing what you're going to eat the following day. What it means to get into a hospital that treats you like you are less than, because you don't have money, you might wait forever. So these build up, these microaggressions, these this daily traumas finally build up. And if one thing happens, as I said, then we get surprised by the intensity. But this this, this reaction represents the daily invisible traumas that the majority and the millions of South Africans continue to experience just because they are poor, just because they cannot afford certain necessities, basic necessities in our society.
0: Mm. You know, as you speak, Nomfunda, I'm watching visuals of the JMPD and Alexandra going into a very densely uh, built environment with, of course, you know, just structure on top of structure. People have to reside so close to each other. They have to share ablution facilities. The camera is going in between these passages that you don't get to see when you're often driving in the streets of Alexandra. When you go into, you know, um, the residences of people, um, and they're confiscating and taking, uh, whatever is found to have been looted or what appears to be looted, uh, 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 uh items and this is also where we get to see how dehumanizing the existence of so yeah. many people is. Just to echo exactly what you're saying about the indignity and the dehumanization that so many South Africans, uh, uh, the, the, the reality that we have to endure uh, constantly through a lifetime, generationally over and over again. Um, we do a, a, a daily mental health check-in moment just after 1.30 every day. Um, which is an opportunity, we believe, for us to just kind of check in with ourselves because there is a barrage. I remember Professor Gillian Eagle at Wits University in the psychology department saying that Mm. just merely hearing or reading about a violent crime is traumatic and that this builds up over time, um, especially in South Africa where something horrific happens almost every day. Um, And we thought, okay, we try and be light, to have moments of laughter on the show, um, and also to make sure that we have this mental health awareness moment and daily check-in to allow us to be mindful of what's going on in our minds and hopefully kind of reset that um, stress loop. But this barrage that that we are under all the time, um, how do we counter that? How do we start to undo the effects of the daily trauma uh, without living in a bubble of being out of touch, of not knowing the reality of the country that we live
1: in. Yeah. So, so Azana, it just actually takes me to what you opened up with, right? That this incident is as difficult and as painful as it is. It has given us an opportunity once more to get a glimpse into the humiliation and the struggle that people are experiencing in Alexandra, which is actually made worse by the fact that on a daily basis, they can sit sitting next to them, just face the rage. But I, I just, I hope and I plead that may we not go back to be asleep again. May we allow ourselves, because part of it is gonna be with us as South Africans, and I know it is really difficult to to sit in your privilege and experience it, even those that say I've worked hard for it, but also see the daily pain and acknowledge it and be present to it and cultivate empathy. Because it is only when we are empathetic Mm. that we are going to appreciate that we can't accumulate our wealth at the expense of the masses that are suffering. Simple thing, adopt a child, you know, take a child to school, pay for their education, When you see someone on the streets, don't ignore them. Look them in the eye and say you don't have just, I think just, you know, someone once said that pain looks for a witness. When it is seen, when it is acknowledged, it begins to assist us to go towards the journey of healing. But most of us, we are so uncomfortable with that. Because first of all, when we look at it, it makes us to connect to our own, you know, inner child that struggled and never healed. But also secondly, we are struggling to say, how can I live in my comfort while other people are suffering? But if we continue to live like that, we're not going to make a difference. So it's about being able to sit with this uh, state of being uncomfortable and do something, you know, as a society. The second thing, what you are doing, Azania, in, in your team, is actually about exercising. We need to learn how to exercise our cerebral cortex. And mindfulness has been found to really, really be helpful. It seems like simple things, learning to breathe right, eat right, just be present to yourself. And and finally, one thing for me that gives me hope, and which is why I've come full time to doing this work, we know that you could have had like a, a century of pain and a lifetime of pain, but it could actually take a few sessions of sitting in intensive healing processes, whether it's a mm. therapy or coaching or in your church, it can actually just take a few sessions to transform. The brain is an amazing... I love your psychology, <laughs> I mean, a clinical psychology, so I love it. The brain has elasticity and an amazing capacity to heal and transform. So yes, mm. once it looks like it's blue, it could take a few sessions of you just sitting with somebody who's experienced or trained, to do this work for you to transform this, collectively, I think, as a society. Interestingly, I mean, in 1994, when I just, um, we had this huge drive as a society on trauma awareness, because we understood that we had a trauma. Maybe we need this huge drive, but currently, of course, a different angle, looking at trauma-informed approaches in our society and what do they mean? And then begin to invest because a lot of organizations that did trauma work have actually closed in South Africa. Because even the funders said, no, the work is done, we are now okay. But we know that we are not okay, and there's still a lot of work to be done.
0: Mm. wow let's take a break our final break in this hour and then we conclude our masterclass with my guest Nomfundo fundo there's still an opportunity for you to send us your whatsapps and also your calls on the trauma that we all experience as south africans 702 masterclass Right. It's, uh, now six minutes to, uh, three o'clock and we're wrapping up our conversation with, uh, my guests this afternoon. That's Nomfundo Mochabi and I'm getting a few more of you s- saying yes. Uh, to her having some kind of role in advising uh, the the leadership of this country on how to respond. Um, so we've been talking about the trauma that many South Africans live with. And so, just my final question, what would be a healthy way of dealing with the trauma of this moment? You know, this morning I just had this breakdown. Couldn't stop crying because I think the tension and the pent-up sadness of what is happening in South Africa just finally gave way, you know, and I thought, okay, a release is definitely good. But I imagine that in all our homes, we are uh, negotiating this moment in different ways. We had a WhatsApp yesterday of a gentleman who said he didn't know what to say to the kids in his house, who asked him about why this is happening, what is happening. Um, they were feeling scared and uncertain. What would your advice be in just dealing with the trauma of this moment from wherever we may be, having done the acts of looting, having watched um, the acts of lost a business, you know, from whatever perspective we all carrying trauma from what is, what, what is playing out at the moment?
1: So I think first of all, Azania is, as you say, that, for me trauma takes several stages the first one is just being awake to it being awake and be present i know that when the emotions are very intense most people get so scared and what we do is that we either project them onto other people or we try to suppress them and i mean it's so interesting it actually studies have shown that it takes only 15 seconds of sitting with your emotions and holding them to actually reduce their intensity. So, as you are saying, being present to it and being awake to their emotions. But also, of course, there's the second stage of healing the wound and healing the trauma. That may this be an awakening that makes you, first of all, understand what is it for you that has triggered these intense emotions. And for for, for different people, it will be different things. Depending, you know, when I work with people, I usually ask them to do their river of life where you write the story of your life and you see what happened to me and how, how has what happened to me impacting the way I respond. That points to the areas that you need to work in. And for me, I want to plead with South Africa as I know. I really want to plead with everyone that is listening to my voice right now. That, you know, the work of... The previous generation of Agumar Deba and others was political transformation. We are doing economic transformation. I really think that for those of us that are present now in South Africa in this COVID period, in this perfect storm, our most, most important work is our own healing.
0: Mm, that's where we're going to have to leave it, Nomfundo. Thank you so much. We are tasked with doing the work of our own healing. Uh, That masterclass will be up for you to listen back to. Nomfundo Mojabi,
1: the Center for Mental Awareness and Leadership. She's the CEO and founder.